Hi, this is Anne and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello everybody, it is Tuesday, October the 24th, 2023. Just done a show on George Orwell, a rewrite of 1984 from a female perspective, a book by Sandra Newman called Julia, interesting feminist retelling of 1984. But one wonders if Orwell was around, if we could resurrect the old man um, today in 2023. I, I don't suppose he would be writing feminist novels. My guess is he would be adventuring somewhere, perhaps in Mexico, certainly if he was on the west coast of the United States might choose to go to Cheran, uh, a part of Mexico that I have to admit I don't know very much about. A fascinating place, uh, indigenous in many ways, uh, and the old or the new Mexico. Uh, there's a piece about uh, Cheran um, in this uh, month's issue of Harper's. Uh, it's about the anti-avocado militias of Michoan, and it's by my guest, uh, Alexander Salmon. Uh, Alex, uh, congratulations on the piece. Have you got a little bit of Orwell in you, a little bit of uh, The Adventurer? Yeah, thanks so much. That, that's very flattering. Uh, I, uh, I, I'll, I'll gladly take that, but uh, I don't know if I've, if, I've, uh, if I've earned that all the way, but, uh, but that's kind of you to say. Well, take it, even if you haven't earned it. We all want to be Orwell. All boys want to be Orwell. Girls want to be something else. Um, tell me about this piece. Did you choose to go to this, uh, to, to, to Cheran, knowing what you were going to write? Or did you go there thinking, I might do a piece on avocados, or I might do a piece on the environment, or I might do a piece on violence or politics? Yeah, yeah. It was, it's an area that was of, of, of keen interest to me for a lot of reasons. Um, sort of, you know, being aware of the history of Tehran. Tehran is this is this town that has um, it was in the news a little bit in 2011 and uh, 2012 for this uprising uh, that happened there. It was um, at the time kind of reported as as a uh, sort of like an anti cartel violence, anti corruption sort of uh, uprising, and uh, it was a really interesting story um, and something I was kind of a little bit aware of uh, at the time. And then I actually ended up you know, reading, um, I was reading about the avocado industry and, and about uh, water and uh, some other stuff that seemed fairly distant and, and realized that uh, actually that there's a really fascinating dynamic in all of this, which is that this town is at the heart of the global avocado industry um, and that the sort of environmental uh, component to the story was actually much more, I think, rich and, and exciting than, than I had understood initially. So I wanted to go down there just sort of to see both what had happened in you know ten years since uh, this town sort of gained some notoriety, uh, and also you know see sort of the impact of of this industry on on this area, which I you know had some sense of it, but uh, certainly not a, a full sweep. Alex, I have to admit, I'm pretty ignorant about most things, but especially when it comes to agriculture. Very given, I live in San Francisco. California centric. If someone had asked me before I read your piece about where the center of the world's avocado industry, I would have assumed it was in California. 
um, like garlic, like like so many other products in, in the Central Valley, but it isn't. And yet in the piece, you note that there is an intimacy between what you call for, forbidden fruit, the avocado and California. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it, 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 in a lot of ways, really is a California story, which I think is so fascinating. The uh, the genesis of the modern avocado as a as a food, as a you know, just as a as a fruit itself, really uh, is owed to the California real estate sector. And you know, this is something that was has been eaten in Mexico for hundreds of years. And even when you know Cortez and and the conquistadors arrived in Mexico, we can see reference to. Uh, in you know 1519 reference to to the avocado uh, as something that they found disgusting and confusing, um, but really the modern avocado uh, exists because of California, because of the California real estate sector in particular. And in the early 20th century, it was it was sort of uh, settled upon as as the marketing gimmick for selling uh, high priced land in California and especially in Southern California. Right, you know. Out of this haze of hucksterism emerged the avocado. It's almost as if the avocado is the physical version of cryptocurrency or something. Totally right. Yeah, it's a, and it and it really is ultimately a total scam, right? It's it's the 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 in that clip there's a reference to the uh, Business Week article from 1935 that says, you know, if you buy an overpriced mortgage here, it'll pay for itself because this avocado tree is going to make you incredible riches. Um, and of course, at the time. Not only does no one know how to grow an avocado in California, certainly no one knows how to eat one, and there, there's no market for it. There's no taste for it in, in the American consumer, and so the whole thing is basically made up. Uh, and and the, by the way, if you like this, I've also got some land to sell you in Florida. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and it's like you know these, these sorts of gimmicks did work, but they always ran out of steam at a certain point. Uh, and this one in particular was, I think, uh, a real challenge because, right, this is not a food that people are familiar with uh, and weren't for a long time. Uh, and and so it, it sort of kicks off this this whole saga that, you know, runs 100 years and I think is, is, is very, very compelling and, and very strange in so many ways. I've always thought there's something slightly miraculous about the avocado. If there is proof of God, it's somehow connected with the avocado. It's such a remarkable product, both physically and in its taste isn't it maybe it's just me totally i mean it's a, it's a very strange <laughs> right it's hard to think of anything else quite like it it's, it's incredibly odd um and I, I don't know about god but i i certainly know that it is also a testament to the incredible power of, of the real of the uh, advertising industry that it mm. exists because uh this is something that the american palates did not have a natural affinity for uh, and the advertising industry, you know, at, at great expense and at, at, uh, with, with great effort expended, uh, managed to basically, you know, will it into existence as a, as a popular food staple. In the so, so just to, you, you said it always existed, even pre-colonialization before the Spanish? Yeah, that's correct. So what, it grew wild? What, what? Yeah, yeah. So there, there, you know, there, there are different, there are different types of avocados, but, uh, but yeah, it, it grew wild. It apparently was eaten by uh, megafauna in in Mexico, and and even apparently in, in Peru, there was some evidence of it. So it was something that was, uh, it existed, uh, but it wasn't obviously cultivated in the same way. Um, and you know, the sort of our modern awareness of it came uh, during the 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 period of uh, Spanish colonization. So. Um, it also, you know, didn't take off then either. The, the, it was they attempted to ship it back to 
to to Europe and uh, and both because it didn't travel that well and because it tasted yeah. so weird, never took. I mean, there's no way you could ship pre pre electric pre pre ice. You couldn't ship an avocado back right. to, to Spain. I mean, it would be pretty soft when it arrived. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what about the indigenous peoples, um, Alex, of the region? Did they have any particular sort of cultural or spiritual affinity with the avocado? It was just another fruit that they ate. Yeah, it, it, in Aztec culture, it seems to have been uh, pretty consequential. Um, so in the calendar uh, the avocado plays a, a, a substantial role. It's, there's a glyph in, and I forget which month it is, but in the, in the Aztec calendar, um, we we see it portrayed pretty uh, prominently. And it was given as a gift to to you know to to royalty and and uh, um, you know sort of whatever we would say it was like a, a aristocratic equivalent. So it certainly is something that was appreciated by those those communities. It was. Uh, uh, yeah, it was something that was venerated in, in, in various ways and, and obviously was a part of the, of the culture fairly prominently. And no doubt Cortez managed metaphorically or otherwise to murder millions of them. Right, right. So, so the Spanish show up, they colonize. Uh, we're up to the 20th century. Mexico is, is a little bit more independent than it certainly was under the Spanish. Um, and, and and then these real estate hucksters in, in, in America, in California, start trying to sell avocado farms. How does that impact on Mexico itself? Why does Mexico end up, this area, this Chiran city uh, municipality, is the center of the world's avocado industry? Yeah, it takes a long time for that to happen, um, in part because obviously the avocado doesn't take off for so long. Uh, the the gimmick works in in the sense that you know uh, the real estate sector is able to sell a lot of land, especially in San Diego County, um, well through the '60s and '70s. I mean, uh, it in in some sense it's undone by its own success. The, the land gets so expensive, the water gets so expensive because you know water is going to these residential areas uh, that really these these sort of upstart avocado farmers can't even sustain themselves. Um, so it is, you know, it, it both is a victim of its own success. It never really gets off the ground. We don't really see Mexico come into play in a major, in, even in a minor way until the 70s, but certainly not in a major way uh, until the late 1990s with the passage of NAFTA. So that's astonishing. So up until the late 90s, it was just another crop. It, it sort of reminds, again, I'm throwing all these rather loose comparisons and metaphors at you, Alex. Uh, but it, it's it's like an updated version of of Chinatown. Yeah, right. In some way, really, that's right. so 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 then what happens? Why does it become this? What, what why does Me why does this region become the center of the world's industry? And how how did that happen so quickly? Yeah, there there are some amazing old documents that that I was able to take a look at from the California Avocado Society, which was that basically the advertising collective. Uh, that was founded in California to try to popularize the fruit. Um, they sent uh, like a research team down to Mexico in the 1970s, um, at which point, obviously, California had experienced a series of droughts already. We we know you know the sort of water politics of California yeah. are, are well known. Chinatown 2.0, right? Exactly. And and in these, they uh, they put this thing together called the Avocado Yearbook, uh, which is an annual report on the industry. And um, in 1970, they put out the the avocado yearbook had a, a report from from Michoacan where they 
marveled at the just incredible abundance of water uh, in particular, that it was everywhere, that it was free, that the climate was um, the climate was cold, which is good for avocado growing. The, the, the soil was volcanic, which meant that there were more nutrients on offer. So it sort of had this almost miraculous uh, set of properties that meant that um, it was really actually, you know, very amenable to avocado cultivation. Um, and so the, the, the sort of big agricultural giants in the U.S. or in California, at least, were aware of this. And they start investing in this area uh, by the 80s. So, so even though uh, there is this import ban in place, and that's a critical part of this, there was a total import ban in place. Mexico was not allowed to send any avocados to, to the United States to protect, basically to protect California real estate owners. Um, despite that, these big, uh, big ag giants in California were aware that the conditions there were perfect for growing this crop. And they started investing even before, uh, that import ban had been taken away, which, you know, comes in the, in the late nineties. We are speaking with, a. Uh... Uh, a very uh, adventurous journalist, Alexander Salmon. He's the author of uh, an extremely intriguing new piece in um, in this uh, month's issue of uh, of Harper's Magazine, Forbidden Fruit. Um, it's not just about avocados. It's also about politics, Mexico, the United States, the environment. Um, Alex. Let's begin with the environment, and 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 I want to get to obviously to a me Mexican politics as well. What is this story and the way in which uh, Mexico and and, and water be became the heart of the the avocado industry? What does it say about the environment and the current crisis of the environment today in the world? Yeah, I think that the 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 phrase that I use in the piece that that. Um, is that that this ends up being effectively the the only active military theater in California's water wars? So the you know we talk a lot about the sort of contest for water in California, and obviously the residential desires and the agricultural desires are constantly at odds. And the whole Colorado River area, right, is is basically sort of uh, determined by this struggle. But uh, in 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 this this it's it's a very small stretch, this hundred mile stretch in Michoacan where. You know, uh, at a certain point, half the world's avocados are being grown. Um, it, that's really where a lot of this, the, the water crisis and the water war becomes actually a hot war. And uh, the, the, the water, the strain on the water system, the hydrological system in this part of Mexico is totally profound. I mean, it's, it's you know, I'm, I'll run through the list. I don't want to go too long, but it's, you know, it's like all the major lakes in this area are either drying up or, or terminally polluted by agricultural runoff. The groundwater has been drained so uh, so quickly and dramatically that there are uh, tremors uh, and, and small earthquakes basically constantly. There are sinkholes. Mm -hmm. uh, the the rainy season has has shortened from six months to three months because of the wide scale removal of uh, pine forests and its replacement with avocado trees instead. Like at every level, you're seeing the the uh, the water system basically break down here, and it's all because of this one fruit, which is insanely insanely demanding in terms of uh of the water it needs to to be produced it's it's uh it's one of the most water intensive agricultural products in in the world as you say and you put it brilliantly it's un it's unclear whether the avocado can survive this changing climate but in Michoacan, the more pressing question is whether its residents can survive the avocado there's a a surreal quality to this story, uh, and 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 I think it's really important that you reveal it. Um, 
is it a manifestation of sort of 21st century food colonialism? How would you conceptualize this? Yeah, it, it, it is in a lot of ways. Uh, there are so many different, I mean, the sort of, this is the, you know, this weird mosaic of like the global economy in its current form where it's, you know, it's, it's, it is, it is like that in absolutely right. The effectively California ran out of water to produce this thing. And so they exported the industry down to Mexico, this part of Mexico, basically to extract its abundant water and then return. Right. It's, it's sort of like the agricultural version of the, the, the factories, these sort of semi-slave factories in China producing iPhones. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it it is just like that, and and um and you know right, it's 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 a right expression of of these trade deals and this outsourcing in, in some ways. It's like it's it's an outsourcing of a of a right, of it's a, outsourcing. So we said the Californians have, so to speak, fucked up their environment, and now you have stricter laws. So they're outsourcing the production of avocado to a country where there are fewer laws, so the economy can be so the environment can be even more profoundly wrecked. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then what about the role of, I mean, who is doing this? These are local farmers or is much of the land owned by large American uh, agro-industrial corporations? Yeah, it's it's a combination of both. Um, you see the, the you know, the, all the major players in, um, I mean, in produce in California uh, also have a presence down in this region, whether it's... Uh, you know, packing and processing or, or shipping or, or whatever it is. There are also a number of, you know, there are some mid-sized farmers. You have, you have huge, uh, you know, huge agricultural tracks as well from, from large farmers. And then of course the, 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 the thing that, that gets introduced to the situation, which is, is more recent is of course the cartels are mm -hmm. a, a major factor in this as well. And so they're obviously the, some of the largest business interests in, in Mexico, especially in this part of Mexico, and and they have a have a have a serious footprint here as well. So there are you know corporations, large and small, small uh, and uh, and local and international. It's almost like a perfect dystopian economic, political, environmental storm. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And why is so little known about this? Is it because most journalists are lazy, or or it's just no, I, I mean, I knew nothing about it. This is not a, a particularly familiar story, I think, to most of our audience. Right, right. I mean, it, it's such a funny one too, right? Because like the avocado, I think it, what it brings to mind is like, it's it's a very cutesy, almost sort of like digital media. Like you see it everywhere on on Instagram and like avocado toast is, yeah. is a staple of brunch culture. Like it doesn't sort of call to mind a, a, a certain type of exploitation or whatever that maybe even like, you know, uh, bananas would have in the in the in the era of banana republics or or something of yeah. that line, um, and that's because honestly, it's a, it's a relatively novel fruit for 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 the American consumer. It's you know, like it, it's something that people didn't really eat even 25, 30 years ago, uh, and has only sort of been willed into the American consciousness in particular. But I think the global consciousness really by an incredible onslaught of uh, advertising spending. And uh, and you know the the twin successes of of guacamole and and avocado toast as uh, as marketing products and and that's a fairly new development in, in the grand scheme of things. We are speaking with uh, Alexander Salmon, um, who has a, 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 a 
particularly interesting new piece in uh, in Harper's this month on forbidden fruit, on the av avocado, on the politics, economics, and an environmental story around the boom of the avocado. I want to thank my own personal avocado, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. They keep me alive. They're our supporter. Going to run a short ad, and then I want to come back with Alex and talk. We, we've circled around this. We've talked about California. We've talked about global politics and the environment and the marketing industry. We haven't talked much Mexico, so I want to talk about how this is affecting and how it reflects the, the current politics and, and economics of Mexico. So we'll be back in a second. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe at libertiesjournal.com. All our guests get an annual subscription. Uh, if, if I was being sponsored by the avocado industry, I'd probably be sending them avocados. But so far, no luck with them. Uh, Alex, talk about Mexico. You, you spent some time there in the central part. We've all been to Mexico City. We've all been to the coast. But most people won't be familiar with this part of Mexico. Yeah, so Michoacan, uh, west of Mexico City, uh, it, f for my purposes, was more or less a five-hour drive from there. It's a, uh, it's a really interesting uh, region. It's 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 the most dangerous state in Mexico. So, um, pretty much by any estimation, it's it's the most violent state. Uh, there are a number of cities. If you look at the annual uh, ranking of most violent cities in the world. You'll see two or three, uh, cities of Michoacan ranked in the, in the top 50 or top 100. So it's a place with, uh, you know, it, it's a dangerous place. It's a place with a, a record of, uh, of, of violence. And, um, and it's a place I think that was known for a while for, um, La Familia Michoacana, which is a, one of the cartels in Mexico. Um, I think it was at one point the epicenter of the uh, methamphetamine trade, um and so it's a you know it's a dangerous place it's a poor place yeah you know in the piece that uh a few years ago in nearby Urapan, 19 people were found hanging from an overpass so it's a, a particularly brutal place uh, i mean is, is there an equivalent between the avocado industry which presumably is entirely legal and the uh the drug industry it's you know it's it's I think that the, the, the line has been blurred in, re, in recent years in particular. Um, and so you know, there, obviously there are scholars of, of, of the cartels who could tell you this with, with, with more polish than, than I can, but a lot of these cartels obviously are very interested in, in legal business. I mean, they, they, you know, these are, these are money-making operations and they are looking for both illegal and legal ways to make money. Um, and in Michoacan, right. The avocado trade is a, is a multi-billion dollar trade. I mean, this is a lucrative industry. Um, and so in recent years, we've seen them sort of more and more get involved in this where, um, you know, control over, uh, the export of the fruit, the land to plant it on the sort of general trade itself has been obviously in the crosshairs of some of these cartel groups. And, and that's sort of what led to that, that incident in, in 2019, where you had, uh, 19 people, uh, killed, uh, undressed and, and piled up in, in a very public way. 
was was understood to be part of a, a, a you know a fight for control over uh, the industry and its its you know its export and and logistics. So the the line there is not 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 clear, especially at this point. We mentioned crypto as the classic Ponzi scheme. You suggested there's an element of this there. What about the agricultural workers? Who's actually uh, how intensive is agriculture uh, is avocado farming? And who's working the land? Yeah, well, so what, an interesting dynamic of this, of course, is that that they're right. There are there are landholders, medium and, and large landholders and farmers who uh, who have made a lot of money off of this and, and are and are well off. I mean, this is sort of you know we we see this in I think rural politics, even in the United States, in a way um, that you have some people who are very very rich uh, who are who are farmers who have done very well by this trade. Um, they have the same sort of thing where there, you know, there are migrant laborers and, and day laborers who actually pick the fruit and, uh, it can be, you know, it's dangerous and grueling as, as that work is for, uh, you know, farm workers and all over the place. Uh, I've, I've heard that you get paid a little bit more working on an avocado, uh, in an avocado orchard than you might get paid working at a strawberry farm or, you know, they, they grow a lot of limes in this area. So, you know, lime trees are part of it. So there's there's a little more money uh, on the low end to be involved in this industry, and then obviously there's a ton of money on the high end, uh, and so it's the sort of agricultural economics of, of the situation I think are are probably familiar to uh, to people who in the United States as well. So the point of and and we're sort of doing this in a rather circular way, but the point of the piece is on what you call the anti-avocado militias. Of the region, what are they, and how did that come about? Yeah, so so Chiron is is this one town. It's, it's a town of twenty thousand people, um, and they had this uprising in twenty eleven uh, that was both against cartel violence and against municipal corruption. Basically, there was a a logging outfit that had gotten you know some crooked backroom deal with the, the mayor of the town. They were cutting down the pine trees in in the uh, in the region. And selling them, and what I heard actually, which I didn't know at the time, uh, but uh, learned while I was there, was that the idea was they were going to sell these pine trees, sell this timber, and use the money to plant avocado orchards and and get rich that way. Um, and in the process of this uh, this logging operation, uh, the 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 town, I, I, the combination of of both uh, the municipal corruption and also the threat to the the town's water supply, the the logging operation was. Right on top of the spring that supplied the water to the town, basically there was this this big uh, this this huge outrage, and the town uh, basically uh, besieged the loggers. They they torched their trucks. They locked down uh, the the town's boundaries. They they kicked out the mayor. They threw out the cops, uh, and and really actually just sort of tore up the state uh, or tore up the town and 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 rewrote a whole new charter, um, which was really fascinating. Uh, they basically re-envisioned the place uh in a, in a whole new way that really put environmental concerns at the heart of the political uh, and project who were these people were they peasants were they intellectuals students landowners yeah basically basically peasants i mean that that that's the, the closest uh i think i think you could say for for them is it was mostly just just townspeople uh who you know the the, the pura pecha this indigenous group has this long history of having fought the aztecs and and uh you know they were never conquered by the Aztecs, so they have this tradition of 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 militancy. I think that sort of undergird some of this, but they uh, they were really just yeah, really just townspeople who who said you know the 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 corruption 
was was too had gone too far that this 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 couldn't stand and the the risk to their life and livelihood was too acute and the rumors of you know cartel backing of this logging operation I think were were uh, of a huge concern to them as well and so they said uh, we're 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 basically going to shut this down and, and re envision a town where uh, these we can we can address these concerns in a more direct way and and that's what they did and how successful were they I mean some of the pictures you have uh, in the piece are of uh, anti-officers uh, patrolling the forest. Uh, did this, was this uprising put down by the, the state? No. So it's incredibly interesting. The, 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 the Mexican constitution permits uh, for indigenous groups, self-identifying indigenous groups to engage in this process of secession if 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 they're able to prove that they are indeed a you know a, a an indigenous uh uh community that, that that practices you know these their traditional cultural practices and so they put this they put this charter together and they, they put together critically i think uh a, a, a military basically a, a militia to patrol the area to in, enforce these environmental regulations um and then they petitioned the Mexican state for independence and they won it. So, so by 2014, the Supreme court of Mexico said, this is in, indeed a legitimate indigenous enterprise. Uh, and we grant you whatever we, we, we recognize their standing and, uh, and gave them money, uh, the municipal funding that you would expect from a, from a state or national government, uh, gave it to them and let them basically fund the, uh, the operation as they had envisioned it, which was uh, kind of an astounding success. But were they rebelling against the state, landowners, or cartels, or all of them? I think it was. It, it was. It was. In essence, it was all of them. Um, it was the 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 threat of of, of cartel involvement. Would you know, uh, or cartel presence in the area was definitely a huge concern. The environmental threats to the area, and the you know that the, the avocado farmers. Uh, we're bringing were a huge concern and then of course just the state's inability to ward off those threats uh was was a big reason for this as well so uh it was sort of a yeah it was sort of a perfect storm there and and led to this really novel sort of political formation uh that proved to be you know very durable now you know, even even uh you know 12 years on it exists in the form that that it was more or less conceived to exist in so beyond all the environmental lessons um does this suggest, does this underline the flaccidity of the Mexican state and the fact that we've perhaps uh, exaggerated the power of these Mexican cartels or the Mexican violent mafia drug lords? Yeah, I think it certainly paints the Mexican state in a very uh, unflattering light. Uh, that's for sure. And, and, and the question of the yeah, of the agency or the sort of omnipotence of the cartels, I think it does it does raise some questions about that. The the thing that I think is interesting is that when this happened in 2011, the avocado industry was nowhere near the size and scope and power that it is uh, today. So, and that's true a little bit of of the cartels as well. The, the the nature of of both this industry and of cartel violence in this area was was meaningfully different in 2011 than it is today in 2023. Um, and I think that's a big reason why I wanted to go down there and, 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 and investigate this is because the, you know, the avocado industry now is a, is a different beast than it was back then, uh, even just in the course of a decade. In what way, when you say a different beast, bigger, smaller, less rapacious? 
for the on the yeah, land in yeah. terms of the the land and water. Yeah, it's 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 much bigger. Uh, it, the the amount of avocados consumed per capita in the United States has exploded over this ten year period. You know, uh, avocados are now a menu item at Chipotle and Subway, the, you know, the largest fast food chains in the country. Um, and at the same time, because of climate change, because of the incredible demand uh, on the hydrological system, the places where avocados were grown outside of this part of Mexico have basically collapsed. The the avocado industry in California is notching record lows in terms of its output. And then in, in Chile, there was also a sort of an upstart avocado industry. And the, the water there was drained so quickly that the place basically burned in a series of wildfires and has become unable to, to produce in a meaningful way. So you have this incredible increase in consumption, in prices as well. Um, and at the same time, the industry has contracted sort of geographically around this one area. I mean, things are bad, Alex. We've got all sorts of things to worry about. Now you've put your generation off its avocado toast. Should we all feel guilty now every time we we, we eat a piece of avocado toast or uh, or, or a burrito? <laughs> I think. Um, I mean, I think you know, so many of these these things, the the, the sort of uh, machinations of 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 you know of globalization of the globalized yeah. economy. Um, you know, I obviously, I think beg a lot of uncomfortable questions oftentimes, whether that's avocados or furniture or clothing or whatever it is. Um, you know, the inputs, uh, are obviously obscured to us. And, and I think that sort of making those things apparent and, and thinking about them is, is, I think is important. Uh, and at least in this case, I feel like, you know, is, is something that certainly should be, uh, contended with in, 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 in some way. I hope there's some publishers watching and listening. I think this has all the makings of a of a really interesting book. Are you going to plan on expanding it a bit? <laughs> I, if they're if they're watching, you know, you can uh, give them my email. I uh, I you know I I I obviously you know I I'm a, I'm, an, I'm a biased yeah, uh, observer. I'm not here. to get you. I'm not your uh, literary agent. <laughs> uh, and, and finally, in, in all seriousness, I mean, there is some good news here. Are we going to have sociologists and anthropologists and political scientists going down now to Chiran and saying, here's a model for local autonomy of, 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 of the indigenous people of a region making their own history. Is this a manifestation of agency in the 21st century? Yeah, I, I mean, I genuinely, obviously, right, there are so many sort of foreboding elements to this story. And, and you know, there's so much violence and, and ecological depredation and, and all all the rest. But I actually think it's kind of a heartwarming or at least heartening tale in some sense that, right, in the face of this incredibly robust, massive global economic machine that, that uh, yeah, that this that this town was able to 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 take a stand against that and, and divert it and uh, and sort of upset that process. And, and that they, they weren't the only ones that there, you know, there are 26 other towns in this area that have adopted the model um, many of them are, are smaller than Chiron. They're just localities, but you know, it's, it's, it's something that it, you know, there's this little, little archipelago basically of, of resistance in the midst of this tsunami of, of, of the global economy. And, and, uh, and I think that that is, is actually is, you know, sort of a, a heartening story in, in some sense that there is something here that is worth taking note of that isn't just, you know, the, the, the machines roll in and roll you over. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm not sure it was probably in anyone's benefit, you tell this story because now everyone's going to try and exploit it. Probably the Hollywood people are going to make a movie about it, aren't they? 
<laughs> right back to California, right back where it right. started. Chinatown 2.0 with a happy ending. <laughs>